hard work, gun-toting cats atop flame-nostriled unicorns, this is Carbon 4 Brewing in Madison, Wisconsin. Come along and hang out with the guys behind the Fantasy Factory curtain. Be exposed to those backroom, unfiltered meetings where the beer geekery is on point and beer trends are dissected. Welcome to the Carbon 4 Podcast, an unhinged brewery tour. We're going to start with some introductions. I am Jonathan. I'm the producer here on the Unhinged Brewery Tour Podcast with Carbon 4. And I'm going to turn it over to the Carbon 4 guys. Who do we have for our brewery tour tour guides today? I'm Ryan Koga, co-owners and brewmaster, one of the founders of Carbon 4. And next... Joe Waltz. I'm the quality manager and the R&D brewer here. I am Patrick Murphy. I am the head brewer and recipe guy. <laughs> <laughs> head brewer and... <laughs> so you, you guys kind of, <clears throat> excuse me, started going down the, the path of, of some trends that are going on in the brewing industry with, with different beer styles that have maybe come or gone or um, changed throughout the years. But what are, you know, what's present day currently, what are, what are, people chasing or what is carbon for chasing for for beer trends whether it's styles hop selections you know how are you making taking those trends and making them your own or saying screw that we're doing our own thing that sounds like the main question from every manager speaking (laughs) (laughs) what are we doing what do people want i think thialized yeast is probably like the biggest trend right now i try to figure out how to use that without it just tasting like a wine cooler um some people just don't like that flavor at all. Like uh, Tim Faith, the new head brewer, brewmaster at Octopi. Uh, when he was down here, he tried it and he just took one sniff of it and was like, nope, nope. And so, but other people just really enjoy it. So it's a, uh, it's, some people it just smells like sulfur and other people, you get those big tropical flavors out of it. So it really depends on the people, but everybody's kind of chasing that right now, trying to figure out how to use that the best because, uh, the science is coming out as fast as brewers are making beer with it. And, um, I mean, Omega is coming out with a new strand, like I swear, like every two months they're doing. So I think that's a big trend right now. I don't know what else is there. Of course, there's hazies. Hazies, there's fruits. There's another push back towards lagers again, which I don't know. Maybe it's just an undercurrent that has always been there, but it's being more revealed. But I, I feel like that's actually like pushing. I think so. One of my favorite parts about like hype breweries was that if you went to a hype brewery, it was a good one if they had like a really, really great lager on tap. And that was like how you knew like, oh, this place is probably going to stick around. They're not just pouring fruit in their beer. They're like, they know how to make a good beer. Um, and I feel like those lagers are kind of like been poking around for a while and coming back. I saw a meme not too long ago. It was like uh, one of those like... Was it the monkey to the man back to the monkey again? Yeah, like, right. And it was, uh, it was like loggers all the way up to like hype beer, and then it was back down to loggers again because everybody's just chasing going back to loggers. It, it takes a good brewer to know how to make good logger, and I mean, I feel like we've we've uh, accomplished that a couple times. But maybe that's my own tooting my own horn, but yeah, I mean, I do think people are chasing back after loggers. Uh, our fastest moving beer recently was outside of fan or outside of a <clears throat> outside of a disaster artist was uh was the Hellas that we made and that that's moved, what I'm drinking right now. Yeah, that moved super quick. We had to get some back, and uh, 
what was it? The Oktoberfest sold so fast it wasn't even close to October. Or, oh, close to September. It sold out before September. So we had a. I didn't contribute to that. <laughs> <laughs> you're sorry, supposed Joe. to be an honest <laughs> podcast. Joe, you're, you're, right, you're on the uh, fence of Oktoberfest beers shouldn't be around. I October. love Oktoberfest. I don't. I won't pay money for one until September, and mostly won't drink one for free before then either, because I don't want to be sick of them by the time the weather's right to enjoy one. I, I mean, think- though, distributors have ruined everything for us. Like, we are, pumpkin beers coming out in July. Like, come on, guys. Like, why are they taking up shelf space then? It, it's just been pushing further and further, and it just uh, kind of ruins, like, when you're actually supposed to drink it. I'm I'm excited for Abby's beer. I'm going to give you a tiny bit of background here. Um, we're, so one of the things I'm doing with the Pilot Brewery is bringing in different different staff members from from different places in the company and just brewing brewing beer with them, kind of working with them to figure out what they want to make, and then helping them come up with recipes, and then and then having a brew day together on the on the one barrel Pilot system. And so one of the people on our packaging line um, was thinking about Belgians, thinking about pumpkin beer. And so we decided to do a pumpkin saison. And it's not going to come out until like a, about a week and a half from now. So it's the November Brewer Series beers. And, and I'm excited because, number one, it's going to be a delicious beer. And the, and the fermenter, it's, it's the, the pumpkin spices and the pumpkin and the saison yeast are playing really well together. It's not a sweet beer. It's a dry beer. It's a... a fairly proper saison aside from not being bottle conditioned to an outrageous carbonation level um but the other reason i'm excited about it is that it's going to come out after people have gotten sick of pumpkin beers and then forgot about them because it's going to be that late but the weather for it's going to be perfect yeah the weather and then they're like right before thanksgiving when you're like actually i do want a pumpkin pie so yeah joe's been crushing it man with the pilot system everyone who's had a chance to, to brew with him I usually follow up with with them afterwards. You know, ask. You know, we we listen. They everyone's really enjoyed it, enjoyed having their beer on, and I love seeing people get a chance to brew the beer because they spend a lot of the time, you know, brewing and packaging and working with the beer. You know, for recipes that I wrote, you know, the company is doing, or it's like I, in my head, I say, well, Patrick's written a lot of recipes now in the last year too, but for all intents and purposes, since you know, I'm one of the owners of the company, I have to, in my mind, I say a category that's like, you know, quote, quote fingers, my beer they're brewing and for them to get a chance to just do whatever they want is I love it. I really enjoy seeing them come alive brewing and being bitten by their beer bug and the brewery bug and get to experience it the whole, the whole process, you know, and um, it's important to me that they get the chance to do that and shine and be in the tap room and bring in their family and say, this is mine. This is my idea. This is my beer. And our only rule is if it sucks, it goes down the drain. Like we don't, we do not ask customers, our loyal customers, people that, that, you know, help us keep our doors open. They do not get asked to spend a penny on something that is not worth their time and not worth their money. So it might be a little bit off the wall, but if the quality is not there, it goes down the drain. There's, you know, there's how many breweries there now at the CBC they say this year? Like 90, 9,500, something like that. 93, 98. With some in planning sale, like when we opened our doors, you know, when Ale Asylum opened their doors, there was like maybe 1,200 breweries. Maybe, maybe. Uh, when we opened our doors in 2012, there was, I think, not even 1,800 because I think we were still, bef- we were still had less breweries in the US uh, before Prohibition. So we're still at that point in time, and now there's like 9,500. And yeah, they always were like 
the bubble's going to pop when we get to 3,000. And then it's like, when it gets to five, when it gets to seven. seven. <laughs> and now I haven't heard anyone say the bubble's going to pop. <laughs> no, so obviously, it's just not going to happen. Like, What's happening? Well, and I think... I, I don't know. I in some it, ways, the bubble has popped. Well, yeah, I mean... It's popping, popping. There are breweries that have shut down. There's lots of liquidation, some other stuff, some consolidations. I think what is happening is that we're seeing... Uh, it's it's hard to keep that going at scale. So you like like I just read an article last week that Lost Abbey they're doing like a a planned growing down. You know they're going to sell their thirty barrel brew house. Get I don't know what they're getting a ten or fifteen, and they're going to try to like get go like skeleton crew and just focus on like what they're really good at and like kind of right size what they're doing, and you know and that's fine too if they got a good tap room and they're a part of the whole brewing group that they're a part of. Um, because they're a part of the pizza port, I think, group. Um, so, like, good, for, you know, great, cool, you know. But, uh, yeah, when you see consolidations or you see there's a lot of, what am I trying to say? There's, like, capacity. You know, Bart Watts has been talking about that for years. There's capacity in the in the brewing industry. I think over all the years I went to the CBC, I don't know if we ever got above, like, 60% capacity. There was always at least 40% if you took all people's fermenters across the entire industry, it was almost always half empty. And it was like, well, that can't keep going. You know, like what what's going to happen? And so you find the consumer, when I first started in 20, 2006 or whatever, there are so people didn't have even heard the word craft brewing. They didn't, had no idea that somebody local could be making their own beer, period. Right? And then you get the, the consumer educated that like, hey, you have options, just so you know. Like that was the, the the only message you had to let people know. And when they're like, what are, you, what are you talking about? Options? You're like, yeah, options. There's at least like six beers here. What? There's more than like six, like one beer? And you're like, that was the whole game was you have options. And it was an easy sell because it was like, here's all these things you've never even heard of before. And then they tried that. And then you got people trained to be like expecting the options. And then they went from like expecting options and exploring into like demanding the options. And then it became like, you know, what new, 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 fast, new experience. New, and then like, then they, then they, they, I think like the focus went off of quality onto just a new experience. It didn't have to be anything good anymore. It just had to be novel. And, um, so yeah, that's, I think that's the reason why a lot of medium sized breweries are failing. I always joked that like, I my vision of the world is that there is a brew pub on every corner or in every neighborhood, right? And it's just made up of old grouchy brewers mm. who worked at like bigger places. You're not allowed to start your own brew pub unless if you like did ten years of like grinding and being mad about whatever thing you were making everything. <laughs> like everything in the world just being an old grouchy brewer and then you get to open like a brew pub but you can't have anything more than like a seven barrel brew house for your like neighborhood i that hope, would be I, hope I get to retire like that that'd be awesome <laughs> yeah that's like my wife and i talked about retirement i was like yeah i'm just gonna open a seven barrel brew pub she's like no you're re- you're gonna retire you're gonna someday. stop you do realize you just stop one day i'm like because the glycol chiller is still gonna break down at two in the morning <laughs> yeah even on your seven-barrel system. <laughs> it's in my blood. There's still a boiling plant to worry about. There's, yeah. still, there's still everything. So, yeah, I mean, but that's not going to happen. Yeah, and, and I think 
you Maybe know, when that, we get to 15,000 breweries, the, the brewing industry, just how local it's gotten, I think is, you know, the part of the bubble that's burst is, is still a win for customers because now, you know, tons of people all over the country are living in places that have breweries or are pretty close to places that have breweries. And that's good for a lot of people. That's good for small breweries. It's good for, good for consumers who it's not good for is breweries that are big enough to need to sell out of their local area. So that I think is where, where breweries have been, been hurting for a handful of years now. You know, I definitely started feeling that pain at Ale Asylum in probably about 2017 or so. Um, you know, and a lot of, a lot of, a lot of the regional breweries had to downsize like stone had their big layoff that one year, you know, Milwaukee brewing, just closing ale asylum closing, you know, it's, that's who it's hitting. You know, I think, I think the days of growing to 40,000 barrels are done, you know, unless you happen to be in a huge city that still is underserved somehow. Cause you're not selling it in the next big city over. Yeah, man. But the most fun I ever had brewing was when it was like 80,000 barrels and there was like five of us. What? Well, every time you say that's a different number. Last time you said that it was fifty thousand barrels. So I think it was fifty. 000. Eighty thousand barrels is like almost it's like seventy percent more. <laughs> right, but but that being an what it was like a hundred. It was under a hundred. Under a hundred is the point, though. It was, it was beyond thirty. So you had some financial Somewhere viability, bridge, yeah. but below like pants on fire all the time. Right, and those economics go out the window for a contract brewery because you're not depending on a on a you know, geographic location for your customer base. You're just depending on a bunch of other breweries in different geographic locations and they all rise and fall. Like at Octopi, I was there for two and a half years, not a, not a super long time, but saw a lot of hypey breweries come through and explode and then decline, you know, in the matter of six months, year, you know, it was a pretty, pretty common story. I hope too. I guess a follow up my, my previous diatribe or what it sounded like, or felt like a diatribe at the moment where I was like kind of complaining, like, ah, and people are want different experiences. Like I, I'm not complaining at all. You know, Zach kind of said it a couple of weeks ago. He was like, he's like, we're frustrated or we're not mad or just it's not mad isn't the right word. He's like, it, angry or it's like because it got difficult. It just wasn't easy. It didn't it wasn't easy to just kind of sell cases out the door anymore. Because when we were like hair on fire trying to get Fantasy Factory around just the state of Wisconsin, there was no other worries in the world except for like how do we make an extra turn of this or an extra batch of this? You know, like that was a good problem to solve. It's like, dang, if I could just work enough hours, I can squeeze out an extra fifteen barrels, and it's gonna move. It's gonna sell. It'll be fresh. It's gonna get consumed. And then when you had to start really working to shore up those sales and really working at it because the consumer caught up and they got educated about stuff and they wanted the options, like, I'm not complaining at all because that's just, it just is, that's just people. It just, no matter what you're selling and what the thing is, whether it's art or food or whatever it is, right? Like the knowledge base is just expanding. The human experience is moving forward. And so now you got to just figure it out in a new way, um, which calls back to like, the like you know slow ipa or or i'm not going to complain because a trend's happening you know i might in the internally i probably do it like jealously because i'm like dang i wish i would have figured that out or damn i had that thought a while ago and didn't go anywhere or damn it i've tried four trying to like invent four new styles over all the years and each one was like a fart noise and you're like why doesn't like i had a really good idea but it's like that doesn't matter you know like there's just so many different factors and things that make something push forward and if you knew what it was, you'd hit home runs all the time, but that's not, then, then home runs would be boring. 
you know, and the excitement would be gone, and the and the and the whole desire, the the Sisyphus of the situation, to, you know, the the struggle to kind of master it would just it wouldn't even be there. So, um, so you know, when we first got going at K four, the whole thing was like we even put on early packaging like malt bombs and hop grenades. And so I'm not I'm not trying to wrap up something, but I want to kind of redirect for a second. Although there's probably a lot I can see everybody's face. I have like good stories to tell here too, but. We started having this a lot of introspection. Like, you know, we started, we, this, this last year, we spent bringing out world beer tour beers where we tried new beers we've never done before from K4. We had Happy Silly Time as a whole series where we just made, you know, try to make hype beers or different beers, trying to be like, you know, we can play this game too. And if it's working, maybe we could try our version of it. And a lot of it kind of hit a brick wall because, you know, people don't see us that way or they perceive this or they don't expect it. And, and so it's like, well, what what should we do? What can we do? And and we thought we might kind of fo- not fall back, but like f- focus on m- malt bombs and hop grenades. So like looking forward to this next year too, like our calendar looking forward was like, hey, what are we really good at? What do we enjoy? Let's get back to brewing the things that we're really excited about personally that we really want to pursue. I love making malty beers. I also love hoppy beers. I love making hoppy beers. And now I got two of the dudes that, you know, are really good at bringing that stuff home. So it's like, we're, we're focusing, refocusing, Jonathan, kind of come back to your earlier thing about, you know, whether it's lagers or a good porter stout, stout porter, porter stout, stout porter, um, you know, heavy malty beers or like cutting edge IPAs, like, cause we are chasing and following what people are doing, what new technology there is, whatever we want to be at the cutting edge of that, bring out new, brand new, exciting, hoppy type of things. But then also just having really awesome, crushable, delicious, high quality, world class malty beer as well. Oh man, that was passionate, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's like, what is K four? What are we? Well, that's what we're good at. So we've always been good at, you know. And 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 we're gonna. That's what we're gonna focus on. So like right now, like almost everybody on the team when they clock out for the day. So at the, at K four, a lot of breweries are the same too. But at K four. We have uh, a shifty, a shift beer. So every time you get done with your shift, you get you get a free beer from the brewery. If you're a tradesperson working in our place, you get a shifty. Did work today here, you get a shift beer. So most folks, um, you know, when you have a good team happening too, that they all actually do go out and have a shift beer and have a beer or two together after work. You know, after spending eight to ten hours in the in the heat and the sweat, you know, afterwards they're still hanging out with each other having a beer. And uh, right now it's disaster artists. That's just like almost without fail. Everybody down the whole bar. Well, Mulhall, he was he's drinking some some porter stout, which I don't I don't blame him because I love porter stout. I'm gonna too, I'm so. gonna interrupt you for one second because you're gonna be able to continue this thought. But I was sitting at the bar the other day. It was last week, and I looked down the the far side of the bar, the bar that leads toward the brew house. If you were to walk parallel to it, and there were five or six people along that that bar and every single one of them had a black beer and i was like nice. this is the most glorious thing i've ever seen i, I want to take it. out my phone i want to take a picture but then somebody's going <laughs> to punch me in the face i didn't take a picture i didn't i didn't want to get beat up oh, oh man you should <laughs> take a picture that is awesome take a picture anyway continue anymore, though, no like, never just, yeah take a picture yeah don't even don't get in bikinis first just take the picture don't make a i mean i can't like, catch it in the wild it's never gonna happen again yeah (laughs) bit river was a stout brewery so like when i went to another brewery that wasn't a stout brewery i was just like wait people don't just drink stouts like 
What? Yeah, well, that's still even at, at Yellowstone. That was uh, Black Widow Oatmeal Stout was like a 1998 like GABF gold medal winner. Now, of course, back in '98, there was only like three breweries. So, but the beer was delicious, and that's actually the beer that got me into brewing was Black Widow Oatmeal Stout, and I had it all the time. I drank a lot of it, but a lot of the locals who came and drank every day, you know, that uh, came in, especially Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights. There's a lot of black beer down the counter, and I love that. Love that scene, love that flavor. That's, that's the, the the one I go to towards myself. I mean, you know, that's why Lady Luck was like most indicative of my brewing style because it's not a stout, not a porter, but, you know, it's getting on the edge Those are the same right thing. up to it, you know. The same thing. <laughs> They're not the same thing, actually, what was like that, historically speaking. What was that meme I sent you that was like uh Oh, it was something oh, about – Oh, it was IPL and cold IPA, like – Right. But – so Porter and Stout are getting away with it for years. Yeah. So according to Michael Jackson's beer book, this is where I learned about it in the end. The true name for a Stout is a Stout Porter. So they're are the same in that sense of the category, but they're actually not exactly the same. But that's one moment in history, and it ignores <laughs> a whole lot of history. Like there are guys that have done digging. Like if you, uh, one that I would recommend is a, a weblog called "Shut Up About Barkley Parkins," and the guy that writes that weblog is is based out of the Netherlands, but he grew up in, in England. And he, for years, has just been going to like public archives and getting old brewery records and looking through at what they actually made and looking through decades going back to, you know, as far back as he could get data, you know, sometimes the 1700s, but a lot in like the mid-late 1800s and, and forward. And the only thing that's emerged throughout the entire history of Porter and Stout is that the only difference between the two is what the brewer calls it. You know, there were points in time when there was a difference between Porter and Stout, but all those all those differences were erased by time. I mean, Stout Porter was strong. It meant stronger. And then there's mm-hmm. Guinness for however many years. has been a 4% alcohol Stout, you know? So, awesome. you know, history just Getting school erases. today. <laughs> Learning some stuff today. Cool. Learning some new stuff today. Yeah, I remember the – I used to – so when I was at Yellowstone, I was like, be by myself. And I had the Michael Jackson book and I would just kind of flip to a new page and learn. I started learning about the taxation system for like Scottish beers, you know, for like 90 shilling and whatever, blah, 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 all that stuff. And then I remember I loved the story at the time of the, of the, when they would um, do the first runnings, you know, that the, they might run a batch three times and have three separate beers come out of the same mash. But when they put it all together, they called it entire because it was the entire runnings for everything. And then that became this hefty, strong beer that the porters would drink near the docks. So they called it a porter after that. But then when they started making like higher, heftier versions of that, somebody started calling it a stout porter. But uh, I love the I, I love this new education on it because uh, yeah, I mean, I think in my mind I've always said to myself, just call it the same damn thing. But then I've always been like, well, I know that historically there's been this little change in it. So I'm really glad to have that wall being broken down in my mind tonight. I think uh, step two of this process is is doing shift hot scotchies, where you take your your first oh, running God, sword. Have you have you done a hot scotchy before? No, that? but that sounds oh, like something man. where you have to change your underwear. Oh yeah, it's. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we used to do them at. Is that when you get a butterscotch bonnet <laughs> bonnet in your pants because you had. Forty dollars worth of Taco Bell. Oh man, we used to do them at Bent, and then I tried to bring them to uh, Octopi, but it just uh, it didn't work for collaborations because uh, sometimes we were just way too drunk with it, uh, how sweet it was and how much alcohol you put in. But it, yeah, you want to explain? So what you it is. so you so you, you take a coffee mug, right, and you put a shot of Scotch or bourbon in it, and then you take first running's wort, just hot out of the water, oh my God, and that it's sounds so, so good. good. 
That sounds so good because I used to little like four or five, six a.m. A little bit of first wort. Oh yeah, that like even on like an IPA stuff or like like it like what kind of beer is best? Anything, whatever. I mean, yeah, I mean it's thicker mashes give you stronger first runnings wort. So you know and, and. that's why we used to always do it for collaborations because collaborations were always high gravity, so it was super thick mashes. So you like twenty five play doh, super sweet. Yeah, and anything with a lot of caramel malt and roasted malt is going to be delicious. But even Fantasy Factory Wort is going to be strong first runnings with a little caramel in it. So you well, it's know, got that strong uh, gold naked oats, and it's so strong with the Simpsons Golden Promise and Golden Promise. Like they use a derivative of that for a lot of like high grade Scotch. And Scotch, so, this Golden Promise is grown for anybody who doesn't know. Simpsons Malt, which is like my my, I love Simpsons Malt. That they're they're not. Well, I'm gonna piss off a lot of people, I suppose. But they're if you had to say what's your favorite brand, that that is my favorite malt, and it's grown in the UK and like Golden Promise is all grown in like Northern Scotland by like select growers, and to me it just has this incredible, rich, undeniable flavor that I've always loved. And it's really the heart and soul of like Fantasy Factory. And then like their Golden Naked Oats, everybody started copying their Golden Naked Oats. And and so when you put Golden Promise, Golden Naked Oats, and I've, I've had with Peter Simpson one year, we got in trouble at uh, the GA, at, uh, not GAPF, uh, CBC, the Craft Brewers Conference one year. He had a local distiller made a bunch of, of whiskey with 100% Golden Promise. And um, and uh, so we broke that out at like one in the afternoon. That bottle disappeared real quick. Before we could actually get in trouble with it, there was no evidence anymore. Was the distiller all pissed off? He's like, my fermentation took a whole three days. All <laughs> right, we gotta yeah. get Jeff to bring in <laughs> so, some whiskey for tomorrow. Let's yeah, so, so uh, uh, yes, yeah, so that with some scotch in the morning would be that's just meant to be, is what that is meant. So how about thirty midnight? Well, it doesn't have least, to be scotch; it's just whiskey of any sort. Whiskey. Oh, well, yeah, I'm, any whiskey will do for me. Threat level midnight. We're gonna have to have since it's uh, not mashing until like eleven or noon. Oh yeah, yeah, that's some hot scotchies for TLM. Yep. Oh, yeah, we'll get yeah. Jeff to come in. Yeah, 100%, man. Yeah, he's actually his whiskey he's making now is 100% Golden Promise. Yeah. And I've had a bunch of stuff that uh yeah, he's he's been making uh previously and it's 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 so good. Does he have anything that's gone through bar- barrels yet or is it all white whiskey right now? There is stuff I you know, I don't I don't know 100%. So today's date is November the 7th. And uh I just talked to him the other day and and uh, the last time I was there it was only white whiskey and actually in the steel uh, he was trying to collect enough to fill some barrels but i know i think he has some racked into some barrels but it's got to be pretty young because he's only been going at it for about a year now at his facility so even if it is in a barrel it's not it's not going to be pretty young yeah i try to get his rum barrels so we can barrel age some beer in his rum barrels and he's like nah man i want to barrel age some whiskey on some rum barrels i'm like damn it <laughs> yeah good luck <laughs> Yeah, so we're talking about Jeff Olson. He was actually a first employee here at Carbon 4. Well, in the production area, I should say. Not in Carbon 4, but in the production area of Carbon 4. He's another guy who has a great, awesome history. He had, he had just finished his master's degree, actually, in um, orthotics and prosthetics. I think out at Boston University. And, um, and uh, he and his wife just got married, and they had saved up some money, and he loved brewing, and he really loved distilling. And so they said, why don't you take two or three months and just, you know, not work, like go to volunteer to brewery and just, you know, see if either it's going to get out of your system or it's going to, or it's something that you should do. And, uh, and so he, he volunteered and after about a week or two, we just put him on the payroll right away. And, uh, um, so he's been with us for many, many years and he's an incredible distiller now and he's starting his own place called the Wilden Distilling. 
It's actually over in Sun Prairie. Uh, it's got a small little place, but he is an incredible distiller. So I can't wait to see what comes out of there over the years. Yeah, it's he's, super exciting every time he comes in with a bottle. I'm like, oh, God, this is awesome. <laughs> yeah, he's got Jennifer out, which is like a traditional form of gin, and that's just incredible stuff. And then he has a spiced rum coming out. So he gave me a little... Little nipper across the counter on uh, on Friday as a hey try this you know I've got this and I just gave him the money and took the bottle <laughs> so it's on my desk now so on uh, December second which is the first Friday after Thanksgiving week uh, for the last maybe six seven years we've been doing a party called Threat Level Midnight well it's Threat Level Midnight Day TLM Day is what we normally call it uh, when we brew the beer every year Threat Level Midnight it's our s'more stout. And uh, uh, we've been, uh, we brew like, we have to toast 30 to 40 pounds of marshmallows. So it started off as 20 pounds of marshmallows. And years ago, I was like, crap, this is going to take all day. How am I going to get people to do this and help out? And I said, let's get a bunch of pizza. And then we, as a brewer, you get a lot of beer gifts. Uh, So we said, let's bring out all the beer gifts and order pizza and make sure people only have to work a half day or something. And then, and then they can start helping me roast some marshmallows to get into the brew brew house. So the party's evolved a little bit year over year. Uh, it's swollen to 20 pizzas and then all the brewery, like employee families, you know, kids can come and help us do whatever else. And we invite some personal friends this year. We're going to make an event out of it. We're opening it up to our whole K4 family, the whole public uh, on that level threat level midnight day. That day we're going to have, uh, like uh, s'mores kits, s'mores kits. Yep, three different stations. Families, stuff. Yep, so you'll be able to make bring your family down, bring your kids down during the day. Makes free s'mores kits. We'll have uh, patties, patties. We'll have our pizzas going inside. So then, yeah, normally we take an over a leftover uh fifty gallon drum, and and that's been our like our our roasting drum there. But uh, we'll have to figure out what we're doing this year. So this year, we're sharing the event with everybody. Uh, so come on down. You can help us roast marshmallows for the beer, make your own s'mores kits, have some beers, have some food, band, just have a great time. And that's uh, so there's Black Friday after Thanksgiving. And then when you're all shopped out the next Friday, come on down to uh, K4 all day and enjoy yourself all day long. Thanks for listening to the Carbon 4 podcast, an unhinged brewery tour. Be sure to visit the Carbon 4 Tap Room in Madison, Wisconsin. Mention the Cave 4 podcast. Um, get a buy one, get one beer for free. Or head to Carbon4.com or WiscoPopSoda.com and enter the code unhinged for 10% off. Be sure to follow Carbon 4 on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All the socials. And send send in your questions that you have for Ryan, Joe, Patrick, or Mina. Questions, stories, share your favorite memory of a K4 beer, your favorite time with Fantasy Factory. Hopefully it didn't get you into too much trouble. Hopefully it started some memories. Uh, For me, the most important function beer can ever serve is to enhance your existence, to bring people together, to forget your woes, to remember that there is a life worth living here. There's friends and family and love to be shared. Uh, Life is precious. Like a, like a dollar that can only be spent once, an hour can be spent once, a minute can only be spent once. You can never get it back. You never get this day back. So, you know, wake up on purpose, get out of bed with intention on purpose. And, uh, and hopefully beer helps remind you of that and uh, brings you together with the people you love or just the catalyst to make your life happen. Cheers to that. Cheers. That was really deep. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 